welcome to a special edition of the Development Podcast from the World Bank Group. I'm Ntombi Siwane. This is episode four of five, recapping the World Bank Group IMF Spring Meetings. This year's discussions took place as the world tackled overlapping crisis and conflicts. In today's show, the heads of four key global economic policy institutions discuss the importance of trade and global cooperation in overcoming those current challenges. We're talking trade, subsidies, and how to reimagine globalization for future prosperity. I worry most about multiple shocks simultaneously hitting us and uh, our proven inability to deal with more than one crisis at one time. So we need to find a way to have uh, trade that occurs in an efficient way to get the gains for the people around the world. It's going to help the poorest people the most. Once you start this subsidy thing, it's a race to the bottom. Mm. And poorer countries cannot compete. That's it. Mm. So we live in a world in which the rich will get to do everything and the poor will get left out. I think the way to look at globalization is that we, it's not a matter of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and stepping back from it. It's about making it work better for people. That's all coming up in the development podcast from the World Bank Group. At a time when the global economy is coping with multiple shocks, including the pandemic, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and supply chain disruptions to food and other goods, governments are increasingly turning to subsidies for relief. But the costs can be very high in terms of public spending and distorted incentives for investment and consumption, especially for the poorest countries. The heads of four key global economic policy institutions, David Malpas, president of the World Bank Group, Kristalina Gogieva, Managing Director of the IMF, Ngozi Okonji-Iwela, Director General at the World Trade Organization, and Matthias Korman, OECD Secretary General, discussed the implications for global trade and developing economies with Sean Donan of Bloomberg News. The four organizations have just released a report, Subsidies, Trade, and International Cooperation, and Ngozi Okonjo-Iwela began the discussion. Subsidies are on the rise across sectors and countries. They constitute the most frequent type of intervention since the financial crisis, more than tariffs and other non-tariff measures. They can distort trade and investment, undermine other trade policy commitments, and erode public support for open trade. Currently, subsidies are a main driver of trade tensions among some of our members. They can have significant macroeconomic costs and trigger retaliatory action. It's a complex subject matter. Clearly, subsidies can be an important tool to address market failures. But examples are bound where subsidies do little to achieve their intended goal or do so at an unnecessarily high cost domestically, abroad, or with regard to global commons. In building a broad coalition of interest across borders, it should be possible to improve their effectiveness, limit their international spillovers, and reduce harm to others. Both finance and trade ministries need to work together in this effort. We need to support government's efforts in international rulemaking, notably in updating the WTO's rulebook. When these rules were made, 
Many current developments affecting or being affected by the use of subsidies were not foreseen, notably the importance of climate change, the growth of the digital sector, or increasing international activity of state-owned enterprises. A better grasp on the prevalence of subsidy programs and their effects can help develop and shape the necessary rules. Not to forget, we are starting from a solid base of existing WTO rules and a few adjustments and updates to those rules might already go a long way in boosting the effectiveness to address the challenges of today's world. David, I'm going to come to you next because you are really our co-host here uh, this week at these spring meetings. What do you think about where we're, we're landing now? So I have strong views on this. One is that trade is really a very positive force. If you think of the, the cornerstone of development is mm -hmm. commerce, is people trading because they get some efficiency mm -hmm. from not making everything themselves. Mm -hmm. And that applies to a, a village, that applies to a, even to a household. There's some, some, uh, 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 some specific tasks that some of the family does better than other of the family. So we need to really build on that and see the productivity from it. So I want to avoid a little bit the word globalization. That sounds almost like we're talking about uh, agreements where all countries join in in the same idea. That's hard to achieve. But what we have to preserve is the idea of efficiencies from companies trading with each other, people being able to to uh, sell their skills in different countries. But that gets us right to the po point of this report. Subsidies distort that ability to do it efficiently. If I try to achieve globalization, but then some players are subsidizing, I'm, I'm undercutting my goal. So we need to find a way to have trade that occurs in an efficient way to get the gains for the people around the world. It's gonna help the poorest people the most if they can have their skills be part of the global uh, supply chain. But we're clearly in a world where we're no longer focused on efficiency, we're, we're focusing on national self-interest as well. And that is something that's playing out, Matthias, in, uh, well, your new home in, in, in France. You've come from Australia, which is a country that's benefited hugely from globalization. I, I wonder if you have a different take on it now global trade, doing business with each other around the world, uh, has delivered enormous benefits to billions of people around the world over the last several decades. I mean, it has lifted many, many people out of poverty, but it's also true. It comes uh, with challenges. I mean, exposing yourself to competition can be uh, extremely disruptive and uncomfortable, but there's, there's not really an alternative because that is the engine of innovation and, and progress. I mean, the conversation that we ought to have is how we can manage uh, global competition, global trade and, and, and those sorts of disruptions better and make them work better for people. You know, when you have structural transformations like the digitalization of uh, our economies at the same time as you are involved in global competition, uh, entire population segments can be severely disrupted and, and need appropriate uh, support to be able to participate and benefit uh, from all of the upsides of, of global trade. And there's certainly an important role for public policy there. But I also want to support the point that David uh, has made. The problem is that when we uh, have a global 
global market and uh, the idea is that we all do business with each other and that whoever is able to deliver the best product or the best service at the best price is the one that supplies those products and services into markets around the world. But then you have governments interfering by providing subsidies and, and creating an unlevel playing field, helping to keep businesses alive and successful even though they're not competitive and not innovative and squeezing out innovative and more competitive businesses in the process, then everybody loses. And, and that is why it's so important to really focus on this work on subsidies, which also create often environmentally harmful consequences because they drive overproduction. I think the way to look at globalization is that we, it's not a matter of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and stepping back from it. It's about making it work better for people. Ngozi, I, I feel like you have, again, a, a unique perspective. You have worked as a policymaker in, in Nigeria. You've also spent a lot of time here in Washington at the, at the bank and elsewhere. And you are now uh, at the WTO in Geneva. Do you think you are looking out at the end of an era here of globalization? How do you think about it? Certainly, there are challenges to, the, to globalization. But are we looking at the end of an era? I think we need to be very careful in saying that, in the sense that this globalization, this multilateral trading system that has been built, it's a global public good. It took time to build it since the end of the Second World War. And it has delivered, lifted more than a billion people out of poverty. So yes, it's not perfect. Some people have been left behind, poor people in rich countries. There are poor countries who have been left behind. But that does not mean that uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. No, what we need to ask ourselves is, how do we improve? It cannot be the old globalization. How do we improve what we have? How do we reimagine globalization so that we can correct those problems and use it to lift more people out, what I call re-globalization? But we can't do it if we have lack of transparency. And these subsidies, many times they're hidden and therefore, for us at the WTO, it leads to a break in trust. Uh, Christina, you wanted to jump in. Uh, well, I, I wanted to make a point on enlightened self-interest, mm -hmm. all the way back to Adam Smith, that we don't do it because we want to be good to others. We do it because it is good for us. And uh, uh, leaders that want to serve their uh, populations, they don't want people to get poorer, they want them to be wealthier. And in that sense, one of our main tasks, and we probably haven't done a good enough job yet, is to calculate the cost of stepping back and the benefits of stepping forward. What is very troubling from this paper when you read it is that it really brings more in the hands of those who already have more. We calculated that agricultural subsidies are 447 billion. Out of this 40, 447 billion, 376 in the four giants, the EU, the US, China, and India. So we have to think about fairness without which we cannot sustain support for a trading system that is more efficient. And so we have to continue to both show what works, what doesn't, and who it works for and who it does not serve. The OECD has been measuring agri agricultural subsidies for something like 30 years uh, now. What are the lessons you take from that, that exercise in measuring those subsidies? They're overwhelmingly market distorting. Uh, it's a very inefficient way of providing income support uh, mm -hmm. to farmers. 
the politics of removing uh, agricultural subsidies are very, very difficult. In fact, the politics of removing subsidies once in introduced mm -hmm. are incredibly difficult. And they also, I mean, they distort production uh, decisions and have both economically and environmentally harmful consequences. And, you know, as we uh, talk about the green transformation and, uh, you know, moving forward uh, towards carbon neutrality, removing environmentally harmful subsidies, and most of the agricultural subsidies are, uh, is going to be a very important uh, part of the equation. And it, it is about having a level playing field, making sure that resources are allocated to where they can have the most beneficial economic impact for everyone. And, and, and subsidies really distort that greatly. A reminder that you're listening to the development podcast from the World Bank Group. Namaste, I'm Shilpa in New Delhi. Fofo, I'm Muslim Sidi Mohammed in Niamey, Niger. Hello, Luyumi, everyone. I am Leisande in Port Vila, Vanuatu. Hello, I'm Piromkov in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Tevaliko, I am Mampumza Esta in Uganda. World Bank Group IMF Spring Meeting. World Bank Group IMF Spring Meeting. World Bank Group IMF Spring Meetings. The World Bank Group IMF Spring Meeting. Let's rejoin that high-level discussion about subsidies and global trade with Kristalina Gorgieva, Managing Director at the IMF, Ngozi Okonjo-Iwela, Director General at the World Trade Organization, Matthias Korman, OECD Secretary General, David Malpas, President of the World Bank Group, discuss the implications for global trade and developing economies. What we can do is try to identify some of the most costly and distortive subsidies mm -hmm. and work on those. I think it's hard to even define subsidies. What if one country has better infrastructure than another? Then they become in, uh, competitive. Or if they've gotten the leap on digitalization, is that a subsidy that gives them a comparative advantage over their competition? One of the uh, very expensive subsidies the U.S. is doing now is for ethanol. D is that environmentally sound? Uh, it, it's distorting the corn markets massively at a time when the world needs corn. Uh, I think we have to put it in the same basket as price controls, those end up being distortive and costly. One immediate problem that we face, as commodity prices go very high, the temptation for politicians to subsidize mm -hmm. is, is there. And oftentimes the cost goes up automatically as the price goes up. If you've decided that you're going to produce a certain amount of ethanol, the cost goes through the roof as the bushels of corn right. price goes up. We want to let people invest in the things that are going to be productive into the future, and these subsidies really really stop that process. And there is a food price crisis in, in, in the world today. Emerging economies today, they are facing a set of shocks that is akin to what we've seen since, and we were seeing in the 1990s. And, and, and yet, not because there's a lack of supply, available supply right now, it's because there's challenges with getting the available supply to market. Absolutely. Uh, and there's various other related risks this and an expectation about the future. Relative to 2008 and now, there was a shortage then. This time there is enough food in the world and it's getting it to the market right. uh, and uh, avoiding some of the distortions that are so tempting. But it's also generating these politics, right, which are, which are incredibly difficult. And if doing subsidy policy in a peaceful world is tough, 
it's even tougher, surely, in a world that's in crisis mode, right? Economic policy, good economic policy, isn't always made in, in, in a crisis. That brings me back to the question you posed about the issue of subsidies for semiconductors, industrial policy, French shoring, if you will. In a world of shocks, uh, multiple shocks, such as we live in, uh, we've seen, of course, politicians and governments will try to do some of that. But as David said, it's very costly. And the good news is when you talk to business people, they don't quite talk that language. They talk of how they will manage their risks. Mm -hmm. They talk of diversification of sources of supply. So I think governments may want to do some of this French shoring and uh, reshoring, but businesses are going to make their calculus slightly dif differently. So let's see, of course, if I'm a business person and I'm offered a large subsidy to do something, I'll take it with both hands. But ultimately, it's not sustainable for governments. It's very costly. That is why uh, I think we need to be very, very careful because not all governments can afford those types of subsidies. It doesn't set a very good example. Actually, we, we know that we are in a more shock-prone world. That's a fact. We got the shock of the pandemic, we now have the shock of the war, locally we have climate shocks, and that drives the conclusion that we have to work more on supply chain resilience. It has to happen. After the uh, shock of the pandemic, many countries looked into, wait a minute, we are getting all our medicines from one place. We have to diversify. There is nothing wrong in this approach. I don't know whether it applies to semi semiconductors, but I can objectively say that our institutions have a role to play to build this supply chain resilience, to recognize there is a security issue for the functioning of the economy, and then come up with transparency of how you make this decision, well-motivated, well-designed, if subsidies are to be used uh, in place, and something that is missing, some way in which we can review mm -hmm. subsidies and then have a uh, fair judgment on what works and what doesn't. When you think about tackling what, was, what has always been a difficult issue, and telling governments that they can't do the politically or they shouldn't do the politically expedient thing sometimes, I wonder if you think the world is a more complicated place to make that argument right now. Of course it is uh, a more complicated place and we shouldn't minimize that. Of course the geopolitics is not to be minimized. The need to feel secure in who you trade with and who you, who you do business with. We'll take it into account. But we're saying, I want to come back to something Kristalina said, all that being given, we need to watch the extent to which we do undervalue what we already have. The cost of pulling back. We, uh, WTO economists have actually started simulations of this. And they show just from looking at efficiency losses, losses in scale economies, you lose 5% of GDP in the longer term. That's not trivial. So we need to be saying, yes, the geopolitics will have to take care of some of this business, but to a certain extent only. Beyond that, to result in losses for everyone, and especially the poorer countries. David? That was the beginning of this report, that the economic uh, view is clear of the cost of subsidies mm -hmm. and the need for efficiency for the world, especially for <coughs> development. What's changed is uh, 
One is the recognition of how dependent Europe had become on energy from Russia, and the, the world's recognized that on China, over-dependency, uh, which is uh, a step that probably the world wanted to do, and even I, I've argued that for China it will be beneficial mm -hmm. to not have people so dependent on them. That gives them more range of motion. So that's, that's an okay step, and also the urgency. Because of the food spikes, this has to be addressed right now, yep. this, this month, next month, by the world to hold down trade barriers yeah. and to, to not fall into subsidies that are going to distort all, all of these markets. Uh, i, I got to say, like, um, if anything, the need to tackle this has become more urgent because, yes. I mean, governments around the world have had to spend a lot of money to deal with the impact of the pandemic. Uh, they've got to spend a lot of money to deal with many of the challenges that the world is facing. And quite frankly, efficient allocation of limited resources should be a key motivating factor to tackle this. Um, you know, we, we need the world to uh, you know, run on all cylinders, and uh, this, is, this is part of what is holding the world back. Yes, you, you hold one cylinder off. The uh, driver of geopolitical consideration is there, but also the driver of governments having less money is mm. there. And so with interest rates going up, governments having debt to service, they better be smart and not jump into committing to things that they may not be able to pay for. Mm. Can I which say one more thing? I of think, course. Think which is wasteful. <laughs> <laughs> on, on top <laughs> of it is wasteful. wasteful. Yeah. And, and that yeah. brings me to the point that, that once you start this subsidy thing, it's a race to the bottom. Yeah. And poorer countries cannot compete. That's it. Mm. So we live in a world in which the rich will get to do everything and the poor will get left out. And uh, because and they don't have the fiscal yeah. space yep. to do things. So we also need to reflect that type of a world doesn't work. When there is strong international cooperation, you can overcome a food mm, crisis. Right. Uh, the, there are three questions. One, is food being stored in rich countries just as a precaution in quantities that are unnecessary? Two, do we identify where production can be increased, including in low-income countries? In 2007, 2008, we had cases when just by providing seeds and tools to farmers, you get production, production up. And three, do we have a good information to help us move money and food where it is most needed? So we have identified the 26 countries that are in biggest shot. We are now, and actually the World Bank leads on that, concentrating attention so they have the money they know where the, the markets are. They, they are facilitating uh, buying bulk for multiple countries at the same time. And as David said, we, this is this week's, we are coming up with this um, action plan of international financial institutions, and it is truly pressing to get it to move so we avoid people dying unnecessarily. The food is available. It just has to get to the right place. One of the worries right now is uh, countries in Europe are trying to stockpile natural gas for next winter. Well, that means that there's not natural gas available for LNG is really needed for making urea, a component yeah, of fertilizer and crops. So if we look around the world, that's the highest priority. Let people have that. But the advanced economies can buy up the whole supply and store it up for next winter, it'd be better to say, look, there's going to be enough and there's going to be extra production and supply to make that possible. Right. So we have to avoid vaccine 
<laughs> two. Yeah. A repetition of what was done but, in the beginning. But, of but the, the vaccine experience wasn't was was it a was lesson not. in the way the world is working today, in, in which self-interest kind of takes over in a way, doesn't it? I want to, yeah, I want to come in, and of course we we can't avoid a certain amount of self-interest. Mm -hmm. But on the vaccines, that's a very bad example because it's not even in the self-interest of a country in a pandemic to just look after their people. Yes. This is one problem a country cannot solve. But since I have the floor, just a quick word on industrial subsidy. One of the things that at the WTO we're very worried about is that breaks trust is these hidden industrial subsidies. And this, this report shows there's a real gap. We don't have enough information. We have a lot of information on agricultural subsidies, thanks to the work of OECD, the World Bank, IMF. But on industrial subsidies, we all need to put our analytical capabilities to work, to get information, so that we can deal with this issue of feeling of unfairness and anti-competitive behavior. For markets to be well-functioning, they need to be open and transparent. Mm -hmm. right. And access yeah. to information is critically important. We're in a world in which people are, aren't necessarily in the mood to share some of that information. And, and that is why this conversation is so important. Like, mm -hmm. we, we can't just be limiting ourselves by the challenging situation we're in. We also got to look to where we want to be. And if you point, take the vaccine... Canada, at, at, sorry. In, in our meeting with Kristalina, Canada said it was going to produce more food. Yeah. That, once that's stated, people begin to adjust markets. Sorry, Chris. I just wanted to say yeah. that uh, in the vaccine story, it took us a while to get everybody, the producers, the organizations that are deploying vaccines. Mm -hmm. But once we got them in the room, it clarified that we had enough vaccines, that the problems are more around the last mile and distri distribution, and then you direct resources appropriately. And that is what we need to do on foot uh, as well, and we will do it. When do we get this global agreement that everyone's going to get along and not do any <laughs> subsidizing? That it, it'll, it'll always be work in progress, but it's, yeah. it is something that we have to continue working on. And, and, the, and the good thing is that we are not leaving Gozi alone <laughs> to go and work with the trade ministers. The reason all of us are here is because good decisions are made when finance ministers are involved, mm -hmm. when industry ministers are involved, agriculture ministers are involved, the private sector is involved, and that is our, our task. And for me, I, I have to say that getting this work started gives a lot of hope because we need to look at some of our agreements at the WTO. And uh, we need to let members know that we are listening to what they're saying. They're very worried about each other's subsidies. So pushing to get more transparency, at least, is, will solve part of what they're looking for. It will be a work in progress. I want to go through just a, a very quick lightning round. I've got the four guardians of the world economy here on the table. I need to ask you this question. What is the shock you worry about Next, start with you, David. Uh, I think energy is really important to sort out. It underpins fertilizer, it underpins crop yields. And so right now it's in disarray because people don't know how it's going to adjust. So uh, that's the shock it's gonna last into next year. Matthias? The thing that worries me most is that we're not getting issues off the table, that more and more issues are coming on the table. And you know, we, we're still dealing with the impact of the pandemic. We're dealing with the impact now of the war. We're dealing with structural transformation, challenges related to climate change, digital transformation pressure on the rules-based trading system. I, I really do hope uh, that we can start taking some of these issues off the table. Can I be greedy and say there are two things I'm worried about? One is 
geopolitical miscalculation. Mm. Some powers miscalculate each other's intentions and that the conflicts of war spread faster. I'm really worried about that because the element of mistrust that exists in the world now is significant. The second thing that worries me is another pandemic because I don't really feel that we're prepared yet to deal with another one. I'm gonna close with our host. Uh, I worry most about multiple shocks simultaneously hitting us and uh, our proven inability to deal with more than one crisis at one time. Building that capacity to, to anticipate crisis and then build resilience to crisis and act on multiple crises is what I worry we are slow to build. Kristalina Gorgieva, Managing Director of the IMF, rounding out that discussion on preserving open trade. The other participants were David Malpas, President of the World Bank Group, Ongozi Okonjoiwela, Director General at the World Trade Organization, and Matthias Korman, OECD Secretary General. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast recapping the 2022 World Bank Group IMF Spring Meetings. The next episode will focus on the importance of investing in people, for example, through education, health, and skills training. I'm Ntombi Siwale. The producer is Sarah Trina. Please join us next time. <laughs>